So we've been uh, spending some time in the Gospel of John and our understanding of who Jesus is and what he has come to do is slowly, slowly increasing. Uh, John is a sort of writer who uses imagery. Uh, and each of these imagery are different, but together they kind of help us understand a bit more about who is this Jesus. So for example, in chapter 1, John says that Jesus is the light. Uh, he talks about this light coming into the world and the world is in darkness. Uh, chapter 1 describes this confrontation that's going to happen when light and darkness comes together. The, the darkness, uh, darkness didn't understand what this light was doing and there was this conflict at the same time. The darkness was trying to overcome that light. Uh, and and it's, it's a statement that John wants to make to, to describe about perhaps our world, that we are in darkness. And as Jesus comes into this light, uh, that there might be actually that conflict, that, that resistance. Uh, so today as we go into this passage where Jesus walks into the temple, we also start to see a picture of this confrontation. Uh, Jesus is coming into the religious establishment, uh, and you know this is the beginning of a sign that, you know, Things are not right. They're not what they're meant to be. Uh, and Jesus is coming against that. Uh, and so, you know, in the passage today, the Jews demanded a sign from Jesus uh, to show that he has the authority to tell them what they can and can't do in the temple. Uh, when you think about it, the temple is the place where Jesus, the Son of God, uh, should, be, should be able to call home, isn't it? It's the, the place of his heavenly Father a place where he's home, away from home for him. Uh, it's his father's house. Technically, it's his house too. Uh, and so for him to come to his own place uh, and yet to be treated like that, it's quite shocking if you think about it. And yet we're not surprised. That's what chapter 1 has already warned us. But it's a little bit like this, right? Imagine if you are the director and founder of a big corporation, you know, you own a large building, and one day you walk into the building and you enter into the lift lobby, and the receptionist at the lobby says, hang on, stop, who are you? Will that happen today? Ah. In fact, what should happen if the, direct, you know, the founder, director walks in, you know, the receptionist stands up, you know, maybe open the door, right? Uh, that's not what happened. Uh, they ask, they question, what authority does Jesus have to do that? Uh, also, we've, as we... I've uh, been looking at the first few chapters of uh, this gospel. We also discovered that John described Jesus as the Passover Lamb of God. Right? He's a, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, chapter 1, verse 29. And the Passover, of course, is one of the three major festivals uh, in the Jewish calendar. The Passover commemorates that time when God delivers his people out of slavery from Egypt uh, they had to kill a lamb, paint its blood on a door, uh, doorpost, and the angel of death passed over that house, and the people were saved. And so that lamb, the sacri sacrificing the lamb, became a symbol of what it takes, uh, what is needed for the sin of the people to be taken away, the sin of Israel. And so to say that Jesus is the Passover lamb, John is saying, in the end, that Jesus needed to die in order for sins to be taken away. And this afternoon, you know, John is going to go a step further, right? Not just is Jesus the lamb, he's going to be the temple by which this lamb is going to be sacrificed. Again, a kind of a different imagery, but together uh, it fills and grows our knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is 
and what his ministry is. So Jesus is the new temple of God. I'm going to pray for us uh, and, and ask God to help us again to see afresh uh, and maybe help ourselves to be enriched uh, and be challenged by this uh, new imagery of Jesus. Uh, Father, our prayer is that as we listen to your word, uh, we will not just be listening, but we'll be doing, uh, that our hearts be willing, uh, be challenged by you to respond to you with faith, uh, in faith and with obedience. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's have a look at, uh, think about the temple. So for Jesus, coming to the temple must be like coming home. Uh, we know that because in other parts of the Bible, the, the, the other gospel, for example, Jesus knew that, right? He calls this my father's house. Uh, remember that incident that Sammy preached last week where Jesus was a young boy, he went to the, he got lost and they found him eventually in the temple. Uh, and what did he say? Did you not know that I have to be in my father's house? Luke 2, 49. Uh, so for Jesus, the temple is a familiar place. It should be a familiar place. It's a place where he could call home. The Bible also tells us a few other things about the temple that is going to be helpful as we enter into the context for today's passage. Uh, so the, the, the temple is the place where God chose to put his name. God promised to be there, so to speak. Uh, the temple is a place that is symbolic of God's rule. God's throne is there. The temple is, although huge and magnificent, but God's bigger than that. So it, it's almost also described like a footstool, right? Uh, and, and that's how big and great this God is. And finally, the function of the temple is to bring atonement. Right? It is about bringing sinners and a holy God together. Let's have a look at this, some of these concepts very quickly. Uh, and so this is Solomon writing uh, to his people, and he talks about the fact that, you know, my father David has in his heart to build a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And that's repeated again in verse 8. Uh, and again later uh, in verse 9. So that understanding there is that, you know, the temple is not where God sleeps and lives. God's not in there, right? It is symbolic as in God puts his name there. God associates himself with, with that place. We know that God is spirit. We know God is big, right? There's no place that's going to contain this God. Unlike other pagan understanding of God, you know, that's a sacred place. God's there. Now, this is quite clearly that the name of God, right, God's name and God's character goes hand in hand. This is a place that is associated with God. Because God is holy, the place is holy. Because God is righteous, that righteousness will flow out from that place. That's that concept. Right, so the temple is symbolic of God's presence. His promise, he promised to be there. He promised to put his name there. Uh, the temple is the place where God rules over his people. And so this is a passage from Isaiah chapter 6. At a time when the prophet Isaiah was feeling really, really depressed because a good king has just passed away. King Uzziah was a very good king and he ran the country really well. When he passed away, there was a lot of uncertainty at that time and Isaiah was wondering, what's going to happen? Are we going to be okay? And as he entered into the temple, he saw a vision, the vision of God on his throne. God's ruling over his people. And straight away, the answer to Isaiah was, it's going to be all right. God is still king, right? Symbolic of God's rule is that temple and the throne that is in that temple. Uh, you notice also how holy this God is, right? Once you see this God, you know, he's surrounded by heavenly beings who 
worship him non-stop. Holy and holy, holy, holy is this God. Uh, And Isaiah's response was, right, I am sinful, woe is me. Um, uh, That's going to be a a very useful thing to think about as we think about atonement later. Uh, But the Bibles will describe that this God is so big, right? although he condescend himself to be associated to a place, but you know, they, we, they know like, this is only symbolic. You can never contain God. Uh, and so David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. Right? That's how big and great this God is that, you know, of itself, right? Itself is but a footstool and the temple and then the tabernacle that God condescend to meet them is a, a mark of his grace and his love. Uh, and finally, uh, because of the a holy God and an unholy people, therefore the temple functions as the place where there is atonement. Without the forgiveness of sin, God's wrath still remains on his people. And without the shedding of blood, Right? Animal sacrifice. Sin cannot be atoned for, according to a New Testament text that looks back at what, what's going on there. And so all of that is kind of by way of trying to understand what's going on in the temple as Jesus walks into the place. It all makes sense, right? You need animal sacrifices, uh, and the, the, the temple needs to be, fu- the, the temple is supported by people giving money in the form of temple tokens. Uh, and so all of that is legit. What is not legit, of course, is where it takes place. Right? And so um, it shouldn't, you shouldn't have to do that in the temple. It should be outside of the temple. That's not what the temple was designed for. Uh, and so one assumes that you know, the temple courts that is kind of referring here is the space where Gentiles come in to pray. Uh, to pray. Uh, we also assume that it is about convenience here. Uh, what we know from history is that at that time, the temple is run by a group of people called the Sadducees under the high priestly family. Right? It's almost like, I call it the mafia family. Right? They, they, this family that you know, controls this. Right? So the Pharisees control the, the synagogues. That's their place of influence. That's where you see the Pharisees. Was, you know, they're all about the law, uh, keeping the law. But the Sadducees and the Pharisees are aristocratic, right? They're the, they're the sort of the people that controls the business, so to speak. All right? And I believe that there is a commission, kind of, there is a levy, right, for the convenience of buying the animals and exchanging the money right there. Now, what all of these means that it is a scene that grated at Jesus, right, who knew that that's not the way his father wanted the temple to be. And so Jesus cleansed the temple. Uh, and so verse 15 describes how he did it. He made a whip out of cords. Who would have thought that Jesus knew how to do that? Uh, but he did. Uh, and then with that, he drove the animals out, scattered coins, overturned tables. And to those who sold dove, he says, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market, a beautiful way that's being described in the original language. The original language is emporium, it's where, we come, where the English word emporium comes from. You get the picture. Right? It's no longer a house of worship and prayer. It is a trading place where you negotiate, you barter 
Um, not quite peaceful, if you ask me. Uh, and the disciples remember that, you know, the zeal for your house will consume me. A couple of things to say about this incident. First of all, it's pretty gutsy move for Jesus, if you ask me. Right? So the Sadducee and the high priestly family rule the temple. Right? A bit like the godfathers. I keep thinking about this, you know, the Corleone family. Right? You have to do business, you have to respect them. Right? Go and pay your respect, and then you can do your business. And if you don't do that, you, know, you find yourself conveniently disappeared. Pretty gutsy move of Jesus. Right? But here you see that confrontation. Uh, the second thing to say is, you know, I guess notice how Jesus described the temple. This is my father's house. Right? To call God Father itself is quite you know, intimate. But my father, this is my house you're talking about. Uh, it's a little bit like this. So imagine you go on a long trip uh, and you ask someone to house sit for you, you know, look, look after the garden, feed the pets, um, and, and hopefully, you know, check the mails, etc., etc. And so after you're, after the, when you come back from the trip, what do you expect? More or less, you know, yeah, you know, you expect the house to be just the way you left it, and that will be great. Uh, and, and if the person can do your laundry, even better. No. Uh, but, but if you come back and you realize that your living room has been turned, you know, become a junkyard place where, you're, you know, this guy is selling things from, out from, your, you know, from your living room, that's a little bit like how it would have felt for Jesus. Right? This is not what the design of the house you know, it's supposed to be. Right? You've turned it into a marketplace. And then thirdly, and the disciples were there. And my guess is that they didn't get it. Right? Uh, the, the scriptures consistently in this period of time says the disciples didn't get it. Right? Because they, I'm sure they would be embarrassed with Jesus. Jesus, don't do this. Jesus, you'll get in trouble with the Sadducees and the high priestly families. They might, you know, they might send someone to talk to you about that, that sort of thing. All right, so only after the death and resurrection of Jesus did they see it because they, they, they tell you, you know, only after that they realized as they read the Old Testament that Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. Psalm 69, verse 9, zeal for your house. Uh, and so what is the significance of all of this? They only realize it later, but we need to ask that question about significance. Uh, yep, zeal for your house will consume me. Um, okay, so it's one thing to know this thing happened. I'm sure it would have been very exciting. If I'm there watching, I will be going, yeah, man, Jesus, fight, fight, fight. Let's see what happens. Right. But why is Jesus doing this? Uh, the why part is important uh, because here we begin to understand what Jesus wants to accomplish when, he's here, when he was here on earth. What was his ministry about? In summary, Jesus' ministry is about a change in the system. See, the temple, the sacrificial system, the law, represent an old covenant. And that old covenant was not working. It was only meant to point forward to the one who is going to fulfill all of that, right, under God. That's what it was supposed to do. Except that the old covenant has become a stumbling block, right? People fixated on the old covenant instead of looking at where it was pointing to, and the people were missing the point. They saw it as merely, 
you know, ticking the boxes, right? Sacrificing the animal, paying your taxes, uh, and that's it. But God was after something more. Jesus was after something more. God wanted to see a change of heart. It's not about just doing the right thing, ticking boxes and paying lip service to God. See, that's the situation of Israel at that time. So the old system has to be changed. That's the significance of why Jesus was doing it. Jesus was there to bring change. The disciples understand it later because then they say zeal, right? What, what zeal that was talking about. Here's, it's important to realize that here's Jesus not just kicking up a tantrum, right? Uh, it, this is not just him being unreasonably angry. This is Jesus intentionally, purposefully bringing about change to the system that needed to be changed. And so zeal for your house consume me, Psalm 69, verse 9. What he did got the attention of the crowd, some of them probably from the religious authorities. And so the Jews responded, uh, responded by asking, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Right. We're very blessed. Right? We live on this side of resurrection where we have scriptures to remind us. But at that point in time, the disciples didn't understand it. It was only much later that they realized that Jesus is referring to himself as the new temple. Right? That's the change that you know, Jesus is bringing in. Don't worry about the old temple anymore. Don't, you know, that's not the point anymore. Stop looking at this magnificent building. Uh, it's not bad. Right? 46 years uh, and what we know from historians is not finished. It's still, that development was still going on, but it was a pretty big project started by Herod. Herod's temple was quite big. Jesus is saying, you know, as magnificent as this is, that's not the point. Incidentally, you know, they, they finished the temple in AD 66, uh, four years before it got trashed again by the Romans. That's what happens to physical building. And yet Jesus is saying that, you know, the new temple, that who, that's it, referring to himself, that's everlasting and eternal. That will never be destroyed. Right? So don't focus on the physical building. You're missing the point. Jesus is the temple now. The temple is the place where sinful man and, and the holy God gets together. Everything now, you know, the covenant that is between God's people now, the new covenant is in Jesus it's being done in and through Jesus. That's where man and God can come together. That's where we can be his people and he is our God. Right? That's what Jesus is pointing to. He's pointing to himself as the ultimate sign, his death and his resurrection. I say that's pretty significant. So if there is no more physical temple, that means there's no more physical limitation. Does that make sense? 
Isn't that wonderful? That we can worship God without physical limitations. You don't have to travel to Jerusalem, for example, today to be God's people. That's why Christians, you can visit Holy Land for tour and you know, it helps educationally to understand the context, but there is no compulsion for Christians to, to visit it like a holy land because Jesus is that temple. It is no longer about the physicality. No more sacrifices is needed because Jesus is that one sacrifice. And you also see that, you know, right from the very beginning, very early in Jesus' ministry, Jesus knew that was his purpose for coming to earth. Uh, last Sunday, um, Sammy preached about the incident where Jesus turned water into wine, uh, a, a, a very private manifestation of his glory. But there is this phrase where Jesus says, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Uh, Jesus' hour refers to his hour of death on the cross. That's where all the signs were pointing to. The, so in response to the Jews asking a sign, what, are you, what sign are you going to show us that you have the authority to do this? Jesus points to his own body and say, destroy this temple, raise it up in three days. That's the penultimate sign that God is among us. The disciples did not understand this. They did later, right? When they recalled this incident, when they knew, you know, again, think about what Jesus had said, then it kind of clicked in, and they believed that's what the Scripture has been talking about, why the Son of Man must suffer and be risen. Uh, so what can we conclude from our sermon today? Uh, again, like I said, you know, they, these disciples lived on that side of the cross and uh, the other side of the death and resurrection. So they were moving towards the event as it unfolds. We don't have the same excuse, do we? Jesus is already risen. They didn't have scripture in the sense of John's gospel. We do. I, I think it's more challenging for us. And what can we conclude? Firstly, Jesus is the place where true worship of God must take place. It's about the worship of Jesus. What does this mean for us as a church? Uh, it means, I think, we, we need to start with the question of what is my current relationship with Jesus like? Do I believe and trust in Jesus? Do I accept that he is the light and I'm in darkness? I'm from darkness. That as I grow in my understanding of this God, I'm, I must relinquish my pride and let Jesus transform my understanding. So Jesus is the place where Jesus is a real temple, he's a new temple, he's the place where my worship of God is accepted and I need to come to Jesus. Secondly, Jesus brings change. Uh, Jesus reminds us the real purpose, why the temple existed. Right? The temple was there to bring God and man together. And Jesus reminds us it's not about the physical building anymore. It is about the spiritual transformation that happens. Uh, the building is physical, it's tangible, sometimes it's easier. Right? It's kind of like a ticker box, I'm here. And why are you here? 
If you are here to take a box, you know that ultimately that's not going to be sufficient. Because Jesus demands more than that. Jesus demands, as he demonstrated himself, a life that is fully devoted. That's the third thing. Jesus had to die to himself so that he can be the temple of God. And the New Testament describes God's people as the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. The Spirit lives in all of us. So what's the function of the temple? The temple is the point, the place where a holy God meets unholy people and they are reconciled. That's our mission. That's our purpose. I think Jesus' example prompts us to say that we need to offer our bodies, ourselves, as living sacrifices to God for the sake of his name on earth. That's where God promised to put his name now. The name of Jesus, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we... Our eyes are, uh, have been opened to see Jesus again afresh. And our hearts are up. You know, if we are hearing you correctly, there should be zeal. We pray for a zeal. The zeal that drives Jesus to clear out this temple. May that zeal be in us. The zeal that want to see God's name glorified among the nation. Help us to, to be disciplined about the zeal. Not just kind of, you know, lash, lash out. But be like Jesus, be purposeful. But give us the courage to stand up to whatever opposition to your kingdom. We pray this in his name. Amen.